Shock Monkey Radio is entertainment for adults, by adults, and the views and opinions expressed here do not reflect sponsors or FXBG Public Radio. For additional information, please refer to the United States Bill of Rights. Stand warned. Hello and welcome to Shock Monkey Radio. I am your host, The Madman, and I'm just now getting a notification that we are live on FXBG Public Radio's Facebook page. We'll see how long that lasts. Sorry for the late delay. It's not that big of a deal. We had a little bit of a hardware snafu because the Madman is an idiot and ran the wrong cable. And uh, that kind of thing happens, especially when I'm put in charge of anything in that regard. So uh, I, I went to my bank. And I had to go inside because I was changing out coins because none of you have gone over to Patreon, patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio and become a patron. And so I had to take all my coins in a, in a jar and I took them to the bank and I had to go in the lobby. All because you haven't sent me money on Cash App. Go to hashtag shockmonkeyradio, send me some money so I can, don't have to do this. All right, so I went into the bank with my jar full of coins and trying to get them changed into put in my bank account. They have little coin sorters there. So I went into the bank, and I'm not wearing a mask, as usual. And so uh, as I'm in the bank, you know, everyone's wearing a mask, of course, because we're all going to die from this horrible plague that's spreading. And so um, I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting with mask, uh, waiting without a mask. And it's a, this little tiny, like, five-foot-tall lady comes up and says, I'm sorry, you have to be, you have to be wearing a mask to be in a, inside our lobby. And so um, and it's always, it's always some little, little woman that has no other power in any other, like in any other aspect, they love they love looking at a six foot guy like me and saying, you know, telling them what to do. All right, they love that shit. All right, so I was like, oh, really? We have to wear masks? She's like, yeah, I'm sorry. We have to. Everyone inside the lobby has to wear a mask. And so because a mask was standing in between me and my money, I had to put on a mask. But that didn't stop me. That didn't stop me at all from going bah! loudly once the mask was on. Everyone looked at me, but the mask was covering my mouth. You can't you can't be sure that I did it. So that's that's kind of my point. It's like if you know, yeah, if you have to do something important, you have to fly on a plane, and they ha- and you know you need to get to work, you know, do something for work. Yeah, you got to play by the rules because of these fucking fascists out here telling you you got to wear a mask all the friggin' time, as if people are dropping dead on the streets, and that's not what's happening. All right. Needless to say, I got my coins, I <laughs> got my coins in the bank, and I was able to get beer that night. But you, you need to go over to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio, become a patron, and you get access to all of our video content behind the paywall. Or you could just send me cash on the cash app. Use hashtag shockmonkeyradio. Leave me a note. I might read it on the air. Who knows? Anyway, so uh, as you may see, may be able to tell, we are now re-recording. Uh, re-recording. We are now recording our, our podcast back on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. A little bit late today, but, uh, you know, that's my fault. So, um... Yeah, but what do you care? I mean, you're, most of you are like podcast subscribers who, uh, you know, just download it at your convenience and listen at your convenience. God bless the internet for that. You know, you don't have to sit there and deal with appointment podcasts like we had to with appointment radio back in the day, growing up with Loveline and shit. <laughs> Remember Loveline? You probably don't, you damn kids. Anyway, so you don't care about that. But now we're back on Tuesdays, and so uh, videos will be coming up, like, uh, usually on Wednesdays. Uh, so. Check out my YouTube channel for little clips that I make. So instead of Fridays, it'll be Wednesdays. You'll be seeing new stuff. So I had to kill a big-ass spider in my bathroom. Um, it was like this big. I mean, like, seriously, if you, if you, for patrons who can't see, uh, it was seriously like an inch and a half, two inches. It was a big fucker. All right? I had to kill him. 
I had to. I mean, he was just too damn big. He was too damn big. But it makes one wonder how a spider in your house gets that big. Sure, I understand that you're uh, more likely to see spiders inside during this time of year as the nights are getting cold and spiders and other bugs seek the warmth of our homes. But how long has that guy been sitting in a dark corner of my bathroom chomping down on bugs before I noticed him to get that big? Spiders creep us humans out. At least they creep me out. But we have a sort of symbiotic relationship with spiders, and we don't care to admit it. We hate bug pests, but spiders eat bug pests. It's just because they look scary than say, more scary than, say, a ladybug that we kill them. Ladybugs don't get that kind of hatred towards them. In fact, I think people make wishes on ladybugs or something like that. But spiders, like the one I killed, have done far, for, far more for humanity than any ladybug. And they don't fucking grant wishes. I tried. Regardless, spiders still creep me out. So I killed him. The scary truth is, is that I don't want to admit to myself that that spider could have stayed in my house until the day he died. All he had to do was stay out of my sight. All he had to do was not fall asleep in the middle of my bathroom floor. Even if he woke up during my girlish scream upon seeing him and scurried off into a dark corner to safety, he would have been okay. Instead, I grabbed a heavy book and threw it at him, smushing him. Maybe I just feel guilty about killing a spider. I gotta push my laptop back. Can't really see the time. All right. So that's just something that happened to me today. I had to kill a spider. Now I want to talk about caffeine junkies. You know who you are. You caffeine addicts. You get on my nerves like no other, like no one's business. You get on my nerves like 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 cocaine, like cocaine heads, crackheads. That's what you are. You're crackheads. You caffeine addicts. You know I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of caffeine. I don't, especially coffee. You know, um, I don't like getting too much caffeine because even I get all keyed up and weird when I have too much caffeine. You know, and in fact, you know, all the caffeine you really need is something I forget how uh, the exact amount, but it's it's small amount. It's basically like half a can of soda, like six ounces of uh, Coke has. Uh, <laughs> I should use. I should say Pepsi. Six ounces of Pepsi. <laughs> is enough caffeine to give you the maximum uh, desired mental mental stimulation. All right? When you're talking about a cup of coffee, a cup of coffee has something like six times the amount of caffeine in it that you need to get your uh, maximum stimulation. All right? And th- I mean, I'm not even talking about it like things like espressos here. All right? <laughs> or a jolt cola. All right? I'm just talking about your everyday, you know, caffeine uh, uh, delivery systems. You know, coffee is a very different thing. First of all, it's disgusting, and it only tastes good when you put a whole bunch of sugar in it, or even flavored sugar, like those uh, creamers, those flavored sugar creamers. And so, uh, you know, it, it, it's that's the only way it's good is when you get it to taste like a a uh, a horrible, horrible, <laughs> horribly sweet thing that you're drinking down. And there's some people who are six, seven cup a day coffee drinkers. You know. And and they're just like the hell with my digestive system because <laughs> it, it can really caffeine over over time can do serious damage to your digestive system. All right, it's not good. You know, I'm a nicotine kind of guy. Yeah, I use I use caffeine. I just don't like what it does to people. It's kind of like social media. I use social media. I just don't like what it does to people. 
It's like cars. I use cars, but I don't like what it does to people. It makes them screaming, road-raging maniacs, okay? And add coffee to that, and then you're, you're homicidal. You're the kind of guy who pulls a gun out on the highway, all right? And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not joking when I liken caffeine to cocaine or crack, okay? I'm not kidding, all right? Because I've seen people on cocaine, I've seen people on crack, and I've seen people on coffee. They're all very similar, all right? They're all very similar. You know, and if you want to say that this is a drug-free work zone, you're out of your fucking mind. You're going to get a hot hair follicle test before I can get a job, but while you're holding a cup of coffee? Get out of town. That's why I, don't, I can't get a straight job anymore. You know, first of all, I'm all over the internet, and no company's going to hire me if they go to my Facebook page and they see any of this content that I put out on the internet, first of all. Second of all, I'm probably going to fail a drug screening because I, don't, I may use drugs that are not the popular ones that don't get checked for in drug screenings, like caffeine. I would rather have people smoking pot than, than drinking coffee at work, all right? Pot smells better <laughs> when it's cooking, I guess. It, uh, <laughs> when it's being catalyzed, I should say. <laughs> people, like, they smell coffee in the morning. just like, oh, that smells good. It's like, are you kidding me? That, sounds, that smells disgusting, all right? Coffee is, like, coffee is disgusting. You need to add sugar to it to make it delicious. It's just like chocolate. Chocolate is bitter. Coffee is bitter. You need to add sugar to it, a whole bunch of sugar to it, to make it any kind of palatable. All right, so not only are you dealing with caffeine and sugar, you know, you're dealing with these crazy jacked up cokeheads that used to be cokeheads, so they drink coffee 24 hours a day. All right, I don't know if you've ever been to an AA meeting or anything like that, but there's tons, there's tons of people, you know, who get off, get off of like a harder drug, like say heroin or even alcohol, you know, they get off some like a, a truly damaging, <laughs> no, you know, caffeine's not as damaging as heroin or alcohol. All right. So you get in something like, like truly, uh, wait, where was I? Oh, where was I? The, uh, uh, for, <laughs> lost my place. The point is, is that you're crackheads. You're crackheads. You drink too much coffee. You know, you don't need that much caffeine and you get overstimulated. You know, get jump, you get jumpy, you get jittery, you know, twitchy. You know, you start scratching like a fiend. Caffeine junkies. <laughs> I can't stand you. I really can't stand you. You're too obnoxious. And just like people on cocaine, you're too obnoxious. You don't need that much caffeine in your life. Coffee's not even that good to drink it for pleasure. And if you do, you're insane. You're a liar. It's like, it's like escargot. Escargot is like a dare. It's not a, <laughs> it's, it's not a dish. It's a dare, not a dish. Anyway, let's go on to the next topic. Whew. I'm going to wet my whistle. I need some beer. All right, caffeine junkies. Let me t- let me talk to you. Let me talk to you a little bit about wiffle ball pitches because I don't know how I get in this rab- rabbit hole where I'm just all of a sudden on YouTube looking for uh, wiffle ball pitches. <laughs> because um, I used to I used to have a pitch that I would throw and it was like it was my out pitch and my strikeout pitch, you know. And so um, <laughs> and then I after doing a, just a little bit of research, I realized there is all sorts. All sorts of pitches that you could do with a wiffle ball that are 
amazing to me. I mean, I just started doing some research about people who, like, they throw these sick, sick curveballs that should not be allowed by physics. You could never do it with a baseball. And so, uh, <laughs> because of the weight and the aerodynamics of the ball, it's it's amazing. I And I'm just so glad that there's other wiffle ball nerds out there that went and figured out how to do all this stuff. I can't believe I'm just discovering this, because apparently it's been around for a while. All right? And granted, I learned my knuckleball. I called it a knuckleball. <laughs> <coughs> Uh, I learned that when I was a kid, and I thought it was ingenious because I was striking people out who didn't play wiffle ball with me when I, when I was a kid. All right, I played wiffle ball later in life, and I pull, break out the knuckleball. I'm striking everybody out. But some of these guys, if you go searching for whipple, wiffle ball pitches, you know they could throw some sick pitches. Granted, I think I could hit them once I got used to them, but still, the first time you see them, you're like, that shouldn't be possible. And if you know anything about baseball and how a baseball pitches work, the only reason. The only reason that you can throw a curveball or a slider or, or, or even a knuckleball in baseball is because of the seams, you know, and um, uh, baseball pitchers would always get in trouble for doing things to uh, create damage to the ball, whether it's their fingernails, they'll dig their fingernails into the ball to create something they can grip onto, or they uh, guys would be caught with files trying to file and scuff the ball. And that's another thing you have to do with wiffle balls. If you scuff the wiffle ball, it can give you uh, far, far more control over your pitches. So, I mean, a lot of the same principles apply, except for the fact that the uh, wiffle ball is far lighter than a baseball, and it has that strange aerodynamic nature to it. All right, and wiffle balls are the ones with the things all around one end, the little uh, things. on. If it has circles everywhere, no, 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 that's not a wiffle ball. That's designed not, those kind of, those kind of plastic balls for baseball are designed so you cannot pitch them. <laughs> And so it'll blow your mind. And so I had this knuckleball. I had it for a long time, and it was my out pitch, and I swore to God I was doing it right. And I wasn't. I looked it up, and it's like I was not doing a knuckleball right when it comes to the wiffle ball pitches. However, I'm still going to keep it in my, in my repertoire because all I got else is a fastball. <laughs> but, I mean, I found this little diagram. I'll, I'll probably post it up later. It's about, uh, like, grips. Grips for different, like a straight fastball, a curveball, a riser, uh, a screwball, a knuckleball, and even a sinker. And I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing. There are people out there nerdy enough to love wiffle ball as much as I do. Because that is cool as hell. I've been playing a lot of uh, player versus player in uh, WoW Classic lately. And it got me to thinking about player versus player in general. And I th uh, when it comes to video games. And so, because um, we could talk about wiffle ball as player versus player. And so... Uh, uh, when it comes to player versus player, I remember a game on Atari 2600. You may have heard of it. It's called Combat. Now, uh, Combat, <clears throat> it was best enjoyed with a friend. If you had a friend, bring them over and you play Combat. And you could shoot at each other with airplanes and tanks and all that other fun stuff. Absolutely. And so, uh, but when you played alone and you played against what we called the computer, what nowadays we would call AI, the AI when you played against the computer, it just wasn't as good as when you were playing uh, against an actual human being. Because human beings are unpredictable, and uh, <laughs> they have a, a, a far more calcul calculating mind. Uh, for example, let's fast forward, you know, 20, uh, 20 years, and, you know, modern, uh, modern uh, like, first-person shooter games, you know, a human can, like, spot something that a, an algorithm may not, you know, on screen. A, uh, a human can, like, go down scope faster 
than an AI could in today's. But back then, back in the combat days, even playing versus another player was better than playing against the computer or AI, whatever the case may be. Um, and then uh, the Nintendo came out. Nintendo Entertainment System came out, and that kind of focused on co-op play. And although I, I do like co-op play, co-op play can be fun, but you're, it's cooperation against the AI or the computer, as it, as it were. Uh, if you remember, like Super Mario Brothers, you know, very popular games sort of the, uh, on the NES, and uh, they were co-op, you know, co-op. It wasn't versus. It's like, um, I think in one of them, they had like a mini game where you could play the original Mario Brothers, where the original Mario Brothers, it could be PvP, I think. I think you could use the pal thing against the other player. Anyway, it, and it was like only one aspect. And even back in those days, it's like there would be only like one aspect you could do to another player. Anyway, but Nintendo was kind of the king on the co-op thing. And that's, I think, when they kind of established their role as like the, the entertainment system of the, for, for kids, you know. And of course, Sega Genesis came out and brought back the PvP. Games like Street Fighter. Great games like uh, Mortal Kombat. Games like that that had, uh, you know, had made a fortune in arcades because kids were constantly putting their, their quarters down on Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter. Street Fighter 2. And there were tons of clones of the Street Fighter clones, the Mortal Kombat clones. There was tons of them. There was tons of them because it was, it was making so much money that, you know, and it was versus. It was player versus player to the death. And that's why those games were so popular. And that's why that got ported onto, uh, like, Sega Genesis systems, the Super Nintendo, and so forth. You know, because everyone was playing those games. They, know, they knew they were super popular. They knew they would sell because it was player versus player and nothing else. Yeah, there was a story mode, but nobody really played that. You know, you, you know who played story mode in the arcades? It was the owner. It was the only time he got to play. <laughs> After they closed, it was the only time he got to play. All right, now you move on to like let's move on to like uh the like Doom. Doom and Doom clones like it because Doom was one of the first uh PC games, I I believe. Yeah, that was one of the first PC games to offer player versus player options uh, through the modem. And uh, a friend of mine, you know, back in the high school days, we would, uh, we would, I would go and unplug the phone upstairs so I wouldn't wake up my parents when the phone rang when he's dialing my modem, you know. And we'd connect and we'd play player versus player in Doom. And it was amazing because, you know, you, I, I, at that point I'd been playing Doom for a long time and I'd never gotten a rush like I had when I was playing against other players. It was far more intense. It was far more nerve-wracking, far more adrenaline-pumping. You know what I mean? And so after Doom came out, you had all the Doom clones that came out. And then you had Quake. And then you had all these uh, uh, player... I forget the name of it. It was Game, Game Spotter or something like that, where it could find, like, uh, tons of people. You know, and then you're getting into... Because at first, at first, with the modems, you know, you're... It, you, get one versus one if you had a network if you're lucky enough to have a network like at work or something like that you may get four players on something like that but now all of a sudden you get 16 player matches and it's a it's <laughs> it's just a slugfest of rockets in many ways it was it was so intense because it's so fast-paced there's so much going on around you and there is nothing nothing like playing against another human being at no matter what the game no matter what the game all right, and so all of, of course, all of this led into far more like uh, more of these arcade versus games 
and especially first-person shooters getting ported to consoles and around PlayStation, PlayStation 2, you started seeing these uh, <clears throat> these games where you can, uh, it's first-person shooters that they have split screens. Now, split screens were kind of a step kind of a step sideways uh, when it comes to the technology of player versus player. But it's um, it's interesting because, you know, the other player would frequently look at your your half of the screen to find out where you are in order to hunt you down. And that was kind of the advantage of playing versus uh, <laughs> on uh, like a PC over console for a while. It's so, uh, especially if you're a split screener, you know, play with other people in the room. So it's almost like playing with other people in the room is not preferred anymore, you know. In the combat days, yeah, you could have the other player in the room because everything is happening on the screen and both players see it, you know? But when it's first-person shooter, first-person perspective, a POV shot, you know, you want your POV shot not to be seen by other people. And then you move into the Call of Duty area, area, era, I should say, the Call of Duty era, where uh, player versus player just got far more intense, far more technologically, sa- technologically savvy, and, it, and Call of Duty is amazing. And it even gets to a point where people get like crazy, crazy mad over the KD things. Have you seen people have temper tantrums over the kill death ratio on Call of Duty? I have. I'm a gamer. I have. You know why? You know why they get so upset? Because they know they're not good enough in comparison to their peers. And that's the point. That's the point of player versus player. It shows you how good you really are. And that's why you have all these esports these days, which is awesome and amazing. So you have these esports these days because people can truly compete with other humans to determine how they rank in the world. I mean, sure they had those things back in the day with like Nintendo, but hey, it's nothing like it is today. Esports is a big thing. It's like back in the when Nintendo first started doing like a you know tournaments. I think they were when Nintendo started first doing tournaments. Even that was looked at as childish and like and silly in many ways. But now it's very serious business with tons of money behind it because so many people, so many people love gaming. So many people are out there gaming and so many people know that playing versus other players is the true test of your medal as a game player. Now, EverQuest, EverQuest had a PvP servers. I want to talk a little bit about EverQuest and WoW before, I've, uh, before I finish up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, EverQuest had PvP servers and they were a nightmare. I played on a PvP server on EverQuest, and it was a nightmare. It was like you uh, you couldn't attack anybody in cities, but everywhere else was fair game. <laughs> now, now uh, the first time I played this, I, I started in Kanos, the city of Kanos. And um, I'm walking out of Kanos, and there's a group of guys fighting each other to see who gets the right to fight, to kill me and take my stuff. <laughs> so PVP servers are kind of nuts, are kind of nuts, all right, especially in the EverQuest days, the early EverQuest days. All right, I've never been on a PVP server on World of Warcraft, um, but I am playing World of Warcraft uh, Classic, and I am doing PVP uh, with a couple of characters right now, a couple of my tunes. And so uh, and I have to be honest, you know, it's, uh, it's frustrating. It's frustrating because you got twinks, you know. Some guy has a rich alt has tons of money to super outfit his character. You know, additionally, you know, <laughs> all these other players are out there in their Discord channels, PvP and queuing up and PvP in, you know, in their Discord channel, coordinating through voice. You know, back in the Quake days, you had to do it all by typing. You know, back in the Doom days to in order to coordinate. Now you could just talk. Talk and your microphone to pick it up and send it to your team. 
And so it's far more lethal. So I wish I could take like the the best Doom or Quake team <laughs> from from the nineties and bring them up and like have them face uh you know the kind of teams that you're facing today in Call of Duty and all those other PvP areas. You know, arenas, I should say. It's amazing. It's amazing what we can do these days with our technology. And I'm just one of those guys who loves who loves playing against other players, even when I'm losing, because I suck at it. And that's okay. Do you know what the Goldilocks zone is? The Goldilocks zone is the space, an area, a distance away from any star, where um, it's uh, not too hot and not too cold. It's just right for liquid water to exist. All right? It's the Goldilocks zone, or also called the habitable zone, which is uh, the, and the reason why it's called the habitable, habitable zone is because it's an area on a, on a planet, it's an area in which a planet could have liquid water running, flowing on its surface. And as you know, as Jesus told us, uh, the w- water is the water of life, you know, and uh, when it comes to looking for life in our universe, other than us, other than us, we have to look at planets with with water with liquid water now the habitable zone can vary depending upon the star all right so in our habitable zone we have the earth this is that's where we live <laughs> if you don't know and it's not flat it's not flat it's very very well it's kind of it's roundish it's roundish it's bumpy anyway so this habitable zone you got you got earth right and you have all sorts of other things going on on Earth because there's all sorts of things that could go wrong even there, if there was water on that planet that, in the habitable zone. For example, it could be just at the edges of the habitable zone and it would frequently have just all ice, mostly ice. You'd have seasons of all ice, but then it'd warm up. It'd warm up just a little bit and you get a little bit of a trickle, a little bit of motion, and you could have life on that planet. Or it could be at the closer edge of the habitable, habitable zone, the Goldilocks zone. And it could be quite hot and steamy, and the whole planet is nothing but a swamp and jungles. <laughs> and it's horrible. It's all like the equator. The whole planet is like our equator. <laughs> also, there's other things like volcanic activity. Volcanic activity on a planet, you know, it could be too much. It could be too great. Spilling magma. Uh, on upon the earth constantly so that you can't nothing can live nothing can uh build nothing can continue to live <laughs> it's awful but there's but you need a little bit of volcanic activity a little bit of plate tectonics you know all that all that goes to enriching the environment enriching the surface the soil volcanic volcanic islands have some of the most richest richest and lush soil that you can find on planet earth it's amazing, you know, <laughs> every couple million years, you know, the, the Hawaiian island chain farts out another island, you know, a little bit of volcanic activity is good. It's good for the planet. And you know what else is good for a planet? A magnetic field, a magnetic field that sex, that takes so much of the solar's ra- so, sun's radiation and points it towards the North Poles, North and South Poles, which incidentally are covered in ice. <laughs> and so a lot of humans don't live up that far north <laughs> and because of all this radiation that gets to be deflected 
you know that has allowed life to flourish and it and it has a there's a low background radiation on the planet just enough to cause mutation just enough radiation to help facilitate mutation mutation as you know in natural selection helps to helps a species improve over the generations as you may or may not know also there are other things like comets asteroids free free bodies flying through the universe they're flying all over the place nobody knows where they're going to land comets asteroids they could be hitting our planet at any time they could come and wipe out all life on earth at any time but you know what the sun has an incredible gravity and so much and pretty much everything in the system everything in a star system not only is birthed within the heart of the star but is affected by its gravity including jupiter and even jupiter's gravity has been able to suck up some possible near misses on on earth that's why jupiter and saturn have so many moons is because they picked up so many bodies along the way that could have been destined to a extinction level event on our planet but instead they got sucked up into the into the orbit of a big planet like jupiter with high gravity Maybe they got sucked up into the sun's gravity or Saturn's gravity. And then we have this tilt of the axis. And this tilt of the axis was begun by the collision with what we now call our moon. And because of the moon hitting us, it's caused the Earth's axis to wobble. And because of that wobble, it allows us seasons. Seasons like fall, like the season we're in, my favorite season, fall. You know, if we didn't have that wobble of the axis, we would have just summer and winter maybe even maybe even neither <laughs> we wouldn't even know what seasons are and so all of these things all of this is a confluence of coincidences that has allowed a species to come up evolve over the millions of years that earth has been in this habitable zone with this perfect confluence of conditions that has allowed a species such as us to arise and look at it all and wonder, is it all just an accident that this happened? Is there some sort of design that has allowed all this to happen? The magnetic fields? Magnetic fields is what causes, the, uh, causes Mars to be dry. You know? The thickness of Venus's atmosphere is what causes it to be sweltering hot, and I think it rains methane. All right? And these are two planets that could be habitable if they had enough liquid water, if they had enough, uh, uh, enough of a magnetic field, a thin enough but thick enough atmosphere. These are planets that could have been habitable planets, Venus and Mars. But Earth, Earth is the perfect confluence of events. And there, have been no li- there has been no life that has sprung up on Venus or Mars, as far as we know, <laughs> that has... <laughs> that has any kind of intelligence or perspective the way humanity has. Humanity is the only species that looks up to the heavens and wonders, what the fuck? You know what I mean? It's mind-blowing to think that, like how delicate a balance life is. And for millions of years, the conditions on this planet have been good enough to create us. And I'm sorry. That particular, that's just one of the arguments I have to make 
for creationism. I believe in intelligent design. And I think that the, it, the likelihood of that happening on earth is so small, so infinitesimal, that I can, it's hard to believe in any other possibility. There are, there's probably billions upon billions of billions of star systems in the universe. Too many to count, obviously. But I guarantee you there's a very small percentage of them that have the perfect set of conditions to allow advanced life, life as advanced as us, as humanity, to live and thrive. I'm not saying there can't be dogs and cats and wolves and other smaller creatures on other worlds somewhere. Absolutely there could be. But it takes a very specific set of circumstances to end up at humanity. And I just, I can't, for the life of me, I cannot, I cannot look at it and say, what a happy little accident. I can't do it. All right, so let's get into the news worth knowing. I might go through this uh, kind of quickly, kind of quickly. Uh, I want to end at seven no matter what. So, all right, let's go to this uh, first news story. It's uh, the headline doesn't have a whole lot to do with what I want to say about it, but the headline is Trump deploying High-risk strategy by leaving hospitals so early, Rollins says. (coughs) Excuse me. President Trump is deploying a high-risk strategy by leaving Walter Reed Hospital early with coronavirus ahead of November 3rd, according according to Republican strategist Ed Rollins. The president's plan in the month before Election Day includes convincing voters that he is well enough to continue continue on as normal normal despite his diagnosis and discuss D.I.E. D-I-S-U-C-S-S. Fox. A simple Fox News. This is where I won't get the articles from. All my articles I get from Fox News. Fox News. A simple spell check would have found that one. D-I-S-U-C-S-S. Simple spell check. Anyway, let's start at the beginning of the sentence. <laughs> the president's plan in the month before Election Day includes convincing voters that he is well enough to continue on as normal despite his diagnosis and discuss the virus in a new light from the perspective of someone who's had it. strategists and advisors told the New York Times. Quote, there's a high-risk strategy here, and I hope the president doesn't rush back into the campaign mode, which he wants to do before he gets well until they tell him no longer, he is no longer a danger to everybody else. Rollins told the outlet. All right, so here's here's the summary, because a lot has happened over the weekend since uh, Thursday during my last show. And so a lot has happened in the sense that uh, uh, Trump, Trump caught COVID. He went to the hospital, went to Walter Reed, and um, uh, he, he was treated, and there was all sorts of hubbub and fuss over the weekend speculating upon his health and what's going to happen. And, oh, oh, and people on Twitter saying, oh, I hope he dies like assholes. All right? I don't care. Nancy Pelosi could get COVID, and I, would, I wouldn't say I hope she dies. You know? I think she's a horrible person and probably in league with the devil. But I don't think that she should get COVID and die at all. All right? Let her live her life and face her judgment. All right? It's not up to me to judge her here on earth. That's the best thing about not being God. But my point is, is like everyone is all, all of Twitter, <laughs> all of Twitter over this Trump getting diagnosed with COVID. And, oh, oh, he's supposed to be he's sick. He should stay in the hospital forever. And I'm just like, you know what? And Trump even comes out, comes out of the hospital saying, you know, don't let this fear rule your life. You know, don't let, don't let this thing, like, rule our lives. All right? And just like my bank teller, you know what? It's, 
you don't need to be that panicky about it. All right? Yeah, if you're in a high-risk group, you should be a little bit worried, but the fatality rate of this is so damn low, it really doesn't matter. Yes, every death matters, of course, but it's not worth shutting down our economy for. And, and you know what? You know what the, the real truth of the matter is? Is our economy hasn't shut down. We've all been working. You've been working, right, EK? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone knows that the economy isn't shut down. Everything is open in some way or shape or form. All right? The economy hasn't grind to a halt. You know? You think that it's like we're, everyone once said, oh, we got to have these shutdowns. We have to have all these shutdowns to keep everyone safe. And that's nonsense. The people kept on working anyway. I never heard the engine shut off. All right? And so the dirty little secret is, is like that all these people pushing these, uh, these, like what Joe Biden is doing, like what Joe Biden is doing is mask virtue signaling. He's wearing a mask all the time to prove how dangerous the whole fucking world is. And it's not that fucking dangerous. Last time I wore a mask was about for 10 minutes inside my bank. And that's the only time, that's the only time I have worn a mask in public during this entire summer. I'm perfectly fine. I'm a little pissed off I don't have beer, but I'm perfectly fine. And so people want to say, you know, hey, you know, don't get on the campaign trails. Like all these people in the White House have been infected. It's like, oh, oh, well, that's how viruses work. You know, you can't, you can't hide from this virus forever. It's the simple truth of viruses. They have to be assimilated into the population. That's it. That's the rules. That's science. Why is this so controversial? I understand, you know, if you're overweight like Trump, you eat too much fast food, you're, you're probably higher at risk. You know, you're 74, I think he is, 74 years old. Yeah, you might be more at risk. But you know what? I think he's going to pull through, just like so many other people who have caught it have pulled through. So I don't know what all the fuss is about. All you horrible people out there saying these are fake photos. You got, you know... This conspiracy nonsense bullshit. This, uh, what did Tim Pool say? He said, uh, conspiracy news network, CNN, the conspiracy news network. And you know what? There's a ton of people out there that want to say, oh, he's faking it. Oh, you know, it's like, <laughs> he's got a, he's got an oxygen tube coming up out of the back of his jacket. You people are fucking insane. You are insane. I to quote Tim Pool again. It's like it, Trump comes out and says X. Press says negative X. That's what they do. Anything he does is wrong in their minds. All right. Now, I had a very harsh disagreement with Joe, uh, not Joe, <laughs> Ben Shapiro. How do you confuse Joe Rogan with Ben Shapiro? I'll, I don't know. I don't know how my mind works. But I, I, had a, I, I listened to Ben Shapiro's show today, and I got kind of pissed because I had to strongly disagree with him on, uh, on a couple of issues. All right. He's pro-mask, and I'm very, very anti-mask. It's like, no, no, if, if you're that scared, you go ahead and wear your mask, pussy. And I reserve the right to call you pussy for wearing a mask. All right. And that's just welcome to America. All right. You can't, you can't force me to wear a mask and you can't stop me from calling you a pussy for wearing one. All right. That's, that's America. That's what the, the America I believe in. All right. I also got pissed off at him because he said like a person's will to fight has no bearing on a, like their cancer diagnosis and shit like that. Uh, the survivability of cancer. And I, I respectfully disagree, Ben Shapiro. Let's go on to this next news story. <laughs> 
L.A. protesters gather outside police headquarters, smash windows of nearby building, at least one arrested. That's why Ben Shapiro's leaving, shit like this. At least one person was arrested after dozens of protesters gathered in downtown Los Angeles on Monday night for a demonstration in front of the LAPD headquarters, according to multiple reports. A tactical alert was issued by the Los Angeles Police Department in response to the demonstration. Fox 11's Bill Melugan, forgive me, reported. The LAPD Sheriff, no, I'm sorry, the LA, Los Angeles Sheriff's Department sent mobile field forces to the area to assist the LAPD and restore order. The group was gathered in front of the LAPD headquarters near Main and First Streets around 9.40 p.m., according to City's, City's, to City News Service. Ugh. Officers stood on guard as demonstrators, some carrying umbrellas, tore down barriers outside the building. The umbrellas are for defense against pepper spray, in case you don't know. Uh, videos on social media showed a few of the protesters breaking windows at a building near where the group was situated. A type of smoke bomb or device was apparently also set off during the protest, Los Angeles KCBS-TV reported. At least one protester was later captured on video standing in front of a police vehicle in the middle of Spring Street where he allegedly shouted, kill me, and do it, I fucking dare you. Jeez Louise. Uh, The group would later move south through the downtown area away from police headquarters and at least one person was arrested, according to the station. It's not clear which group organized the protest. Earlier on Monday night, demonstrators had gathered in Glendale, California, located about eight miles north of downtown Los Angeles, in support of Armenia amid the Azerbaijan conflict. On Saturday, protesters blocked the California freeway to bring attention to the conflict between neighboring nations. No injuries were immediately reported. So the whole point of this article is to tell you is that there was no reason for this. There wasn't any particular... There weren't people holding signs. There weren't people chanting anything specifically it was just a riot it was just a riot it was just some anarchist assholes bored because they're told they can't go to work and they have to wear a mask everywhere they go so they're bored they can't go they can't go to the uh the cosplay event so they go and they uh you know tear up their city streets and the only reason, you know, they're allowed to do this is because the police don't do anything. And the only reason the police don't do anything about it is because the, the politicians in these liberal cities don't let the police do anything about it. That's why Joe Rogan left. That's why Ben Shapiro's leaving. That's why, did I, some, some other famous actor was leaving too. That's why, you know, that's why California sucks. I've seen tons of pictures of California and and when I was young, it was a place I wanted to visit. And I'm kind of heartbroken that you've turned it to such shitholes that I don't want to visit places like San Francisco or Los Angeles anymore. I used to, like, one day I would want to go see those cities because I've heard they w- used to be beautiful. And they should be beautiful. They're American cities and they should be beautiful. But I don't want to risk getting beat up in a riot. Shot by some crazy liberal person who vapes. <laughs> some vapor. Can't stand vapors. Okay, let's go on to this next story. So, um, <clears throat> sorry ladies, I'm gonna, we're going to get into it. <laughs> Florida firefighters make history as department's first all-female crew. Uh, these first responders got fired up to unexpectedly work together as their teamwork 
marked a first in the department's 57-year history, the first all-female fire crew to staff a shift. On September 18th, Rescue Lieutenant Christiana Krakowski, Fire Medic Kelsey Krizwada, Fire Medic Julie Dudley, Lieutenant Monica Marzullo, and Driver Engineer Sandy Laduski, Woo, spit. Laduski were serendipitously uh, scheduled as a crew for the Palm Beach Gardens fire, uh, fire and Rescue in South Florida, Krakowski recently explained on Fox and Friends Weekend. Quote, two of us were on overtime and others were assigned to that shift, she told host Jebediah Bila. Bila? I don't know who that is. Uh, so we just got lucky and it, organically it just occurred. Quote, it was really cool. Uh, Kriswata echoed of the special day. I'm the youngest, so it was really cool to be with them, with all of them that have been there for a while and to learn from them. The women of Station 65 were thrilled to make history, and the lieutenant said she'll, be always, she'll always be proud of the milestone. Quote, I am completely humbled. I think we all are, she told WPEC. It's empowering. We're all about women, empower, women empowerment. It's exciting. It's sad that, there, that it's not the norm, but it's becoming the norm. Okay. We'll come back. We'll come back. We'll come back. Okay. The female firefighters range in range range in age from 29 to 53, today reports, and hope to inspire young girls to reach for the stars. Coincidentally, the girl power shift fell on, on the day that Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a, a champion of women's rights, passed away. <clears throat> Though the first responders aren't sure while the, uh, when they'll be assigned to work together again, they're already looking forward to the next all-female, all-female squad shift. Palm Beach Gardens Fire and Rescue currently has 12 female firefighters on staff. Dep- Deputy Chief James, oh, I'm not even trying that name. Ip- Ip- Ippolito, Ippolito told Fox 35, with room for plenty more. In a statement, the department touted that while just 4% of the nation's firefighters are women, 11% of their force is female. Quote, we are especially proud that, our 50%, that 50% of our female firefighters hold the rank of lieutenant or higher. Palm Beach Gardens Fire and Rescue said. You know why 50% of your female firefighters are higher ranking? Because you don't want them as grunts actually carrying people like me out of a burning building. All right. Now, I don't know about you, but if my house was on fire and I was unconscious in said house because I breathed too much smoke and the firefighters that arrived at my house are all women, it's going to take more than one of them to drag my fat ass out. You know, you could say it's all my fault. If I, if you want to be dragged by a, if you want to be dragged out of a burning building, you should stay at a trimmer weight. <laughs> Absolutely, and you have every right to say that. As I, you know, my fat gets burned to my to my bones. Absolutely, but the point is, is that you know, even when I was serving in the military alongside females, all right, I know that they had relaxed PT standards. I know that. All right. I also know simple things like sexual dimorphism and how women don't have shoulders like this like mine, all right? They don't have the same upper body strength as men. So if I am in a fire and I'm passed out in my home, I want some big strapping lad to throw me over his shoulder and take me out of the house with my boner digging into his back. I'm kidding. <laughs> the point is, is that, you know, I've seen videos of police, female police officers getting like overpowered, like, like one guy fighting off two female cops. I'm not saying that females shouldn't be cops. I'm not saying that females shouldn't be in the Navy. I'm not saying that females shouldn't be in the fire department. 
What I'm saying is that it shouldn't be all females. And yeah, if they get promoted, that's great. That's great. Girl power. All about it. If you can do the job and you do your job with your mind. Absolutely. But when it comes to doing a job with your body, I would rather have a man in that job. And that's just me as a person. And I think that you should have more diversity on this <laughs> fire crew. Because I think they're all white too. <laughs> no, not. I read, the, I read the names. They're not. They're not. They all look white, but who could tell? They're from Florida. <laughs> That's a big melting pot in Florida. It's so <laughs> I was like, you could you could look as white as me and have a Hispanic name if you grew up in Florida. That's <laughs> just that's just how it is. It's so uh melting pot, America. It's awesome. But when it comes to like throwing you over the shoulder, I want some strapping young lad <laughs> carrying me out of a burning building. Because I'm like I'm like 230 pounds and I'm being kind to myself. Let's go on to this next story. Oh, boy. Running out of time. Okay. 2020 election. Uber Eats to deploy free food trucks to feed voters. In in a patriotic pitch celebrating Election Day, Uber Eats plans to deploy a fleet of food trucks to offer free fare to voters at polling sites across the country. With with lengthy wait times likely to occur on voting lines, the food delivery arm of the ride-sharing platform is serving free food from 180 trucks at polling places in 25 cities, Uber announced. From vote early day in, on October 24th to November 3rd, Uber and partner Pizza to the polls will be on the road to deliver free food and good vibes to those waiting to cast their ballots. Free treats from steak, uh, Shake Shack, Milk Bar, and other local favorites will also be served. A photo shared in the press release uh, showed a truck decorated with a slogan, Democracy is delicious. <laughs> Quote, we know waiting in line is difficult, so we'll deliver snacks to make it better, said Scott D- Duncombe, co-founder of the nonprofit Nonpartisan Pizza to the Polls, in a statement. A rep from Uber told Fox News that the trucks will be stopping in the following cities, Phoenix, Los Angeles, Washington, Miami, Tampa, Orlando, Gainesville, Atlanta, Louisville, Detroit, Detroit, Ann Arbor, <laughs> Minneapolis, Charlotte, North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina, Greensboro, Las Vegas, Reno, New York, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Charleston, Nashville, Houston, Austin, and Milwaukee. To further encourage turnout, as uh, 40% of eligible voters cited transportation as an obstacle when voting in the 2016 uh, 16 election per Harvard data. Uber is making it easy for users to find local polling sites uh, with a special in-app feature and reduce fare for trips to and from the polls, among other election day initiatives. I think this is great. I think this is very cool. My only problem with that, with providing free food, is that um, to people at, on election day at the polls, is as long as you're not handing it to them, handing their shake to them and saying, vote for Biden or vote for Trump or anything like that, nonpartisan. Now, a little segue here, little little kind of side story. Uh, I don't know if you've seen a movie called Charlie Wilson's War, uh, Tom Hanks flick, and uh, uh, the late, what's his name? Blanking on his name. Uh, in Charlie Wilson's War, um, there's a scene where he's sitting there. He tells this story about when he was a kid and uh, this uh, uh, kid, meaning like 16 years old, old enough to drive. And so um, when he was a kid, uh, uh, this guy who was running for office had ground up glass and put it in his dog's dog food because he hated the dog and uh, killed the dog. And so, um, and so he tells a story about how he got his car and he'd go to the poor poor end of town or the black end of town, just like a Democrat, just like 
to do something like this. And so, <laughs> so he got in his car and he'd go to this uh, poor side of the town and give people rides to the polls. And then he would, before they got out of the car at the polls, he would say, I don't want to influence your vote or anything, but candidate X deliberately tried to kill my dog. All right. That is wrong. You should not do that. Even if you want to give a neighbor a ride to you, to the polls, you should not try to influence their vote. All right. Even whether, whether he killed your dog or not. All right. I think that that is wrong. And this is fine. You know, go, I mean, <laughs> vendors, you know, will set up near the polls anyway, especially in places like New York. You know, you got street vendors in New York. They're probably going to set up near the polls anyway. And that's going to happen. All right. And I think that that's cool to provide this kind of, uh, you know, these kind of treats, I should say, to people voting because I think they should get a little bit of special attention because every vote counts. Your vote counts, my vote counts, and you should get out there and vote, and we, sh- and we should all support that process, no matter where you sit politically. We should all support that process and be thankful for any free shakes we get while we're waiting in line because everyone wants a milkshake while waiting in line to vote. All right, so uh, running out of time. I'm going to go through these next two real quick. Uh, Millennials embrace camping during coronavirus pandemic. More Americans are looking for safe ways to travel and have turned to camping, including a surge of millennials camping for the first time. Close to half of people who went camping this summer were first-time campers or hadn't camped in recent years, according to a new survey from Campgrounds of America, the Montana-based network of more than 520 campgrounds across the U.S. and Canada. Millennials accounted for 40% of all campers and 55% of new campers, according to KOA's report on the survey results. Most new campers, 53%, said they are currently working from home, according to the report. And even though they've been stuck at home together, most campers picked it as a family activity with children. Quote, while it's great to see a strong rebound of camping and the effect that it has on the broader outdoor hospitality industry. Wow. Outdoor hospitality industry. Seriously? You work at KOA. Anyway. It is summer's, it's this summer's high, high level of interest among new campers and the re-engagement of past campers that really excites me, Toby O'Rourke, president of, and CEO of KOA, said in a press release. The coronavirus pandemic forced many of people to cancel travel plans this year. Cruises and flights were canceled, and many hotels, theme parks, and other attractions temporarily shut down. Camping provided a safe alternative for many Americans. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention rates camping with people uh, from only your household as the lowest risk activity. Survey respondents also said that they believe camping was the safest type, uh, type of travel amid the pandemic, according, according to KOA's report. About 80% of campers said uh, they took close, uh, trips closer to home this year as a result of the pandemic, and 60% said they're willing to travel to a less popular location to avoid crowds. More than 40% of new campers said they would likely to continue camping next year. KOA estimates that 80% of the new campers will continue camping in the future. (laughs) 40% say they will, 80% will. (laughs) Okay, so, uh, quote, of of the new campers that joined joined the fold in 2020, many have indicated they will continue camping in the future, which really drives home the fact that camping and time spent in the outdoors can have such a positive impact on people's lives, pandemic or not, or work, said. However, locations may be limited as close to half of leisure travelers also said private bathrooms are important, <laughs> which the CDC also recommends to ensure lowest risk travel. People don't want to shit in holes. I get it. <laughs> and there's been tons of people who love camping, but would, I would prefer a toilet. And they would, they would do anything. They would bring like a, a five-gallon bucket, <laughs> drill a hole in it, and cap. 
bring a uh, buy a toilet seat, put it on there. Seriously, I've seen people do this. I've seen people do this. I think it's a good thing that people are camping, getting out out in the outdoors. I, I, you know, unplugging is a good thing. And if you know this pandemic has like a silver lining, it could be things like this. It could be things like people going out and camping, you know, and re rediscovering the beauty of nature, re rediscover the beauty of like uh, not being walled up and tethered to a electronic device. You know, it's good that these younger people are going out and camping because it's something I've done many, many times in my life. I really do enjoy it. And by all means, I'm glad that, you know, this pandemic has a silver lining. So to end this in the show on a high note, fat squirrel spotted eating McDonald's cheeseburger outside of a Florida location. <laughs> As fall approaches and temperature drops, many animals may be looking to add up, add on a few extra pounds for one squirrel in Florida. This apparently means time to hit up the golden arches. You can go find this video. Go look for it on the internet. A video uploaded to Reddit claims, a, uh, claims to show a squirrel snacking on a McDonald's burger. And while it may just be the angle of the camera, the animal does appear to be heavier than the average squirrel. <laughs> the video was uploaded by Jamie Walton near, uh, near McDonald's in Venice, uh, Venice, Florida. Metro UK reports. Got a UK source? Anyway. In, in, the, in the footage, the burger looks to be... Uh, Nearly the same size as a small animal. Yeah, they can pack it away. Quote, I pulled into the park space, and it was a few feet from my door. I thought it was funny, and people have found it amusing. Walton explained, according to the news outlet. While many commenters on Reddit assumed the squirrel was on the bit of the heavy side, others speculated it might be pregnant. According to Walton, there may have been many comment, there have been many comments saying the squirrel was pregnant. It is not typical for them to give birth this time of year, but I'm not an expert. Uh, if the squirrel ever gets tired of eating its food in the dirt, there's a man in Pennsylvania it should meet up with. Fox News previously reported on a man who built a tiny picnic table for the squirrels in his neighborhood. The idea charmed Twitter so much that people in quarantine all over the United States have started making, it, making their own tables for woodland creatures in their area. See how bored we are? Rich Kloen Kal Kalinowski, 43, from Bryn Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, told uh, Cater's news agency that he built the picnic bench and placed it outside the living room window so he could watch squirrels eat while having coffee every morning. Kalinowski also feeds squirrels on the table. Do you see? Do you see how bored we are? You're feeding tree rats. You're making picnic tables for tree rats. This pandemic is out of control. Go out to the woods. <laughs> Go find some fun. Absolutely. Find the silver lining in your everyday. Do what I do. Find the silver lining. Find something to laugh at, even if it's a fat squirrel. So this has been Shock Monkey Radio. I want to remind you again to go over to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio, become a patron, get access to all of our video content behind the scenes. And uh, it's three bucks a month, super cheap. I'd, I'd appreciate it. Or you can send me cash through Cash App. Use the cash tag, Shock Monkey Radio. And yeah, I'd appreciate it. Leave me a little note. I'll read it. Also, if you want to email me, you can email me at madman at fxbgpr.com, and maybe I'll include your email in one of my mailbag segments. Um, yep, yeah, so that's the end of the show. I'm the Madman, and I love you.